Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. It is Wednesday, September 1st. It's 10.30 a.m., and it is time for Bible study. That's right. We have made it to September, which means fall is here, right? Football starting and fall is here. And today, the uh, the heat thing in Texas, what do they call that? Uh, it's not the actual high temperature, but the what it's going to feel like. 107 degrees. So fall is here and it's going to be, it's going to feel like 107 degrees outside. So yay, have that to look forward to this afternoon and uh, hope wherever you are, you are cool um, and you are enjoying this Wednesday morning and good morning to you who are joining us live. So great to, uh, to have you here. And today, Hebrews chapter nine, last week, Hebrews chapter eight, today, Hebrews chapter nine and Thank you. Heat index. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. And good morning. Um, So uh, Hebrews chapter nine, lots of really, 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 really good stuff in this. I think you're going to enjoy this study. Lots of good stuff. We may go a little bit longer than we've been going, but there is some really, really, really good stuff. So, So so glad that you've decided and you're able to join us and hope you're having a great day wherever you are. Okay, let's jump right in. Hebrews chapter nine verses one through five. So there's going to be a little bit longer readings this week, but trust me, they're worth it. Okay. So chapter one, uh, chapter nine, verses one through five. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly sanctuary for a tent was constructed. The first one in which were the lampstand, the table and the bread of the presence. This is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a tent called the holy of holies. And it stood gold, stood the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which there were a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak now in detail. So uh, this is, again, a, a letter, a sermon, whatever it might be, but it was it was designed for the Hebrews, that is, the Jewish people who were now Christians. And so going back to the first covenant, the co- not the first covenant, the covenant made with Moses. The covenant made with Moses, there was a uh, part of that covenant meant we need a tabernacle for an earthly service. And so there was this tabernacle, which was a tent. It was 45 feet long and 15 feet wide, and it was divided into two rooms. The larger room was 15 feet by 30, not big, not big at all, 450 square feet. Uh, and then um, that was known as the holy place, right? The, and, and the priest, as appointed, went daily into the holy place to perform priestly functions, such as tending the lampstand, replacing the bread, that kind of stuff. Okay. Behind that room was a smaller room, 15 by 15, much smaller. And that was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And in that was the Ark of the Covenant. And so Exodus 25, uh, verses 10 through 22, talks about the Ark of the Covenant. It it was placed in the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, and was a wooden chest covered with gold. It was three and three quarter inches, uh, three and three quarter feet long, two and a quarter feet wide, and two and a quarter feet high, with rings for poles so that it could be carried. Inside the Ark uh, was a golden pot that had manna, manna, the story from Exodus 16, Aaron's rod, story from number 17. Aaron was the uh, brother of Moses, and it is from Aaron that the priestly line comes from. And the tablets of the covenant, the Ten Commandments from Exodus 25. And so these were 
put in there as reminders, right? So the manna reminded Israel of God's provision, how God provided for them, and their ungratefulness, and their ungratefulness. Aaron's rod reminded them of their rebellion against God's authority. The tablets of the covenant reminded them of their failure to keep the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And so as God looked down into the ark, God sees the symbols of Israel's sin, rebellion, and failure. The symbols of sin, rebellion, and failure. Now, we have symbols as Christians, right? We have symbols. The cross is a symbol of God's uh, forgiveness of our sins, right? Of, of the love that God has for us. And we have baptismal candles. Uh, this weekend was my daughter's sixth baptismal birthday. And so we lit candles for her and celebrated, right? That the baptismal candle represents the, the, this baptism service and the promise of eternal life in God's presence. But do we have symbols that represent our failures, Do we have symbols that represent our ungratefulness, our sin, our rebellion? What what symbols could we come up with if we were going to put together a box, right, that where we could look into it and and we could be reminded of our failures, if we could be reminded of our sin, if if we could be reminded of our ungratefulness, our rebellion, what would that be? So I was thinking about that. What are like four things we could put in there that would remind us of the ways in which we fall short? So... Here's the four that I came up with. The four for me. So if I had a box, this is what I'd put in there. First, I'd put some money in there, right? Because money is the thing that we put our hope in. We put our hope in money instead of putting our hope in God. Now, money itself isn't evil, right? Money itself isn't bad, but the ways in which we put our hope in money is not what we should be doing, right? We should be putting our hope in God. The second, I'd put like a pair of shoes in there, right? I'd put a pair of shoes in there to be reminded of the way that I choose my own path, instead of the path that God has laid out in front of me, right? I go my own way. I don't like God telling me what to do and where to go. So I will put shoes in there to be reminded of the ways in which I take my own path. Uh, Third, uh, the third thing is like an eye mask, right? That you put on when you go to sleep. You put on those eye masks where you can't see anything and it blacks everything out. Uh, You know, because we put those on, we put on blinders so that we don't see those who are in need, right? We put blinders on so that, you know, we, we might pull up to a corner and we see somebody on the corner asking for help and we just look the other way. Like, if that person's not there, if I don't make eye contact, they'll know that I'm not giving, that I'm not going to acknowledge them and I'm not going to give them anything, right? So these blinders that we put on. Uh, and then the fourth thing I would say is like a piece of broken glass, right? Not, maybe not a sharp piece, but a piece of something broken, right? Maybe a plate, a broken something, something that is broken, and, and I, think, I think that represents anger, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe you take the glass and you throw it on the ground and you pick up a piece and you put that in there to represent our anger, the way in which we're angry at God, the way in which instead of being grateful, we're angry at God, but, but the way in which we also shatter relationships, how anger gets in the way of relationships, how anger gets in the way of being there for one another. Uh, and so money you know, the ways in which we put our hope in money, shoes, the way in which we decide to take our own way, this blinding eye mask so we don't see the problems of the world, and something that's broken so that we could, you know, something that we have broken, right? Not just, just not that's broken, but something that we have broken uh, as a reminder that our anger, our anger gets in the way and shatters relationships. Now, uh, this last one, I, I, as I was thinking through this, um, I think it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense to put something that we have broken 
in there because as we come to worship on Sunday and as we come to the table uh, with our hands out and the bread is broken in Holy Communion, the body of Christ is broken for you, we have this image of being put back together as a community, as our relationships being put back together and made whole, not uh, uh, through the broken body of Christ, right? Through the brokenness of the body of Christ, we are put back together in ways that, uh, you know, even even our own anger, the ways in which we break things, uh, how God pulls us back together. I think it's a it's a really powerful image for me, anyway. But so so money, shoes, an eye mask, broken glass, something that we've broken uh, in our anger. What would it be for you? What would your four be? Maybe maybe you only have two or three. What would it be for you? What are the four images uh, or symbols that you could put in a box and be reminded of your failures? Now. I think it's a good question to think about, but then the next question is, should we do that? Should we have a box that reminds us of our failures or no? Should we, should we simply be reminded of God's love? And so instead of having a box of our failures, should we have a cross and, and a baptismal candle? And should we focus on that? Instead of focusing on our failures, focus on God's forgiveness of our failures, right? Uh, and so instead of, but, but, but I still think it's a useful exercise anyway um, to, to, to think of the ways in which or the, the symbols of things that you could put in there uh, that would uh, remind you, not that you actually need to do that. Uh, but if you come up with four good ones, make a bracelet or something, maybe you could sell a million of them. Who knows? All right, here we go. Verses six through seven. Such preparations having been made, the priests go continually into the first tent to carry out their ritual duties, but only the high priest goes into the second, and he but once a year, and not without taking the blood that he offers for himself and for the sins committed unintentionally by the people. Okay, the sins committed unintentionally by the people. That is the Holy of Holies. It was entered only once a year, and it was entered only by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And he went in there and made a, a sacrifice for his own sin and for the sins of the people. And he wouldn't stay very long because if he stayed, the, the, I mean, the, the people of Israel believed that God's presence lived in the Holy of Holies. And so they thought that if he stayed too long in there, that God had killed him, right? Because in the presence of God, God could kill you. Uh, and so um, he didn't stay long. And when he came out, he threw a party for all his friends because he had, he had emerged safely from the presence of God, right? Okay. And so he went in there. He went in there, it says, for the unintentional sins, for the unintentional sins of the people. Now, it, so the assumption here is that it was assumed that people recognized the ways in which they were sinful, right? The ways in which they were sinful throughout the year, and they would make regular offerings and sacrifices for those sins. But, but we all have those sins that we just don't know about right? Those unintentional sins, those times when, when we sin and we just, we, we didn't even know it, right? And so the unintentional sins. Now, Jesus, in Jesus, we have a, a, an atonement that is eternal, eternal atonement, right? Um, so his work on the cross atones for both the sins that we're aware of at the time. We know this is a sin, right? This is a sin. I know this is a sin. I'm doing it anyway. And the unintentional sins, right? The, the, the sins that we're ignorant to. Um, now, do we ever t- take time to think about the unintentional sins, the sins we commit in ignorance, the, time, the ways in which we sin and we just have no idea? I mean, sometimes we commit these sins because of the world we live in. And, and, and you know, a, a good question to ask is, could we live in this world without sinning? Could we live in this world without unintentional sins where we, we just don't even realize it? 
We don't even realize that we did the wrong thing. And so these unintentional sins, they come up and, uh, you know, we don't have any knowledge of them. Uh, We don't know when when we do something that God's like, oh, no, that's not it. That's not it. Um, But it's important to know, it's important to know that Jesus' death on the cross, the forgiveness that God offers us, covers not only the sins we are aware of, but the sins we're not aware of, the unintentional sins. So, uh, okay, verses 13 through 18, jumping ahead a little bit. Good verses here. For if the blood of goats and bulls with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer sanctifies those who have been defiled so that their flesh is purified, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. Whoo, that's good stuff right there. We're going to come back to that. Verses 15 through 18. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance because a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. Where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Hence, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Okay, so basically here's the point of the first part of it. Jesus' sacrifice was better than the sacrifice of bulls and goats. Jesus' sacrifice is better because Jesus is without blemish. Jesus is perfect, right? Jesus' sacrifice is voluntary. I mean, there was never a bull or a goat who said, hey, sacrifice me for the sake of the people. I'm fine with it. Yeah, just sacrifice me. Um, Jesus, it was voluntary, so he said, I'll do it, I'll do it, and motivated by love, right? A bull or a goat doesn't give its life motivated by love. No, it just doesn't. And so Jesus is better. Now, if these imperfect sacrifices were received as sufficient by the people of Israel, they made these sacrifices and they thought, well, that's that's good enough. That's good, that's sufficient. How much more then should they regard the ultimate sufficiency of the perfect sacrifice? Right? If if a blood or a goat was a perfect that was a good enough sacrifice, well then the sacrifice of Jesus is even worth more than that. It's it, it's even better than that. And that uh, it goes on to say the blood of Christ purifies our conscience. It purifies our conscience. Me, you know, our conscience is part of us that lets us kind of know when we've done something wrong, right? That 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 where we carry around kind of shame and guilt. Oh, I really made a mistake there. I wish I could take that back, you know. The blood of Christ purifies that, right? It purifies that um, because it lets us know that our sins are forgiven the minute we commit them because the atoning sacrifice for sins was the death of Jesus, and it always will be. And so we, we don't carry around the sin until our next time that we come to confession or till this next time that, oh, you know, whatever it may be. You know, we don't carry around this, this, the, the pain and the anger and the frustration and all that guilt and stuff like that uh, because our conscience has been purified knowing so that we know that when we make a mistake— our sins are forgiven, and they're forgiven immediately because the atoning sacrifice has already been made through Jesus Christ. Then it says we are redeemed through death. We are redeemed through death. And that is verse 15, because a death has occurred, that redeems them. from the, So um, basically the author says that Jesus' payment on the cross accomplished redemption for those under the first covenant. So 
Basically, every sacrifice for sin made in faith under the Mosaic Covenant was an IOU that was cashed in at the cross. It was redeemed at the cross. Jesus redeemed it. He did it all. You know, he, he cashed it all in. All the IOUs, all the debt, all the whatever you want to call it was redeemed at the cross. Jesus dies on the cross and the atoning sacrifice for our sins and for all the sins of the Jewish people under the Mosaic law. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. All right, verse 22. Verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So death was necessary in the Old Testament. Death was necessary for the forgiveness uh, of sins in the Old Testament. Basically, every part of the sacrificial system under the law of Moses, had blood in some way or another. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Why? Why? That's, uh, I mean, that's under the, the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. But is that true today? I mean, did, do you need to shed blood before you can forgive someone? Or do you just have the power within you to forgive can you forgive someone without blood being shed? Of course. Of course. So we have to ask, why does God need blood to be shed to forgive sins? Why does God need to see blood before God can say, yeah, I forgive you. All right. Well, it's an important question as far as atonement theology. Does God need blood to be shed to forgive sins? I don't believe so. I believe God is God and God can do what all the, you know, all things are possible with God. God can do whatever God wants. And if God wants to forgive sins without the blood of his son, God can do that. God can do that. So then why did Jesus die? Well, maybe we needed to see the blood. Maybe we needed to see, maybe we needed something to sacrifice. Because when you sacrifice something, you can point to that thing and you can say, because of that, because of that sacrifice, because of that blood that was shed, because of that thing which is now dead, I know that my sins are forgiven. I have something that I can cling to. I have something that I can look at and say, yes, because of that, I am confident. And so maybe Christ died for that purpose, so that we could have something to look at, so that we could look at this cross over here behind my shoulder. When we see the cross, we can be reminded of how much we're loved, what God was willing to do for the sake of our uh, forgiveness and salvation. Maybe that's what it is. Um, okay, last part today. Verses 24 for, through 28. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself again and again, as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who, eagerly, who are eagerly waiting for him. Okay. Okay. Good stuff here. <laughs> so just as certainly as we die once and then face judgment 
So Jesus only had to die once to bear our sins. So Jesus does not die over and over and over again. Jesus does not suffer over and over and over again. Jesus um, did it once. So, um, so this is an interesting piece of uh, theology that speaks to something that is kind of common. And I don't think the writer intended to do this, but I think there's a lot of people who believe in reincarnation, right? That we, we don't die and then go to heaven. We die and then we come back and then we die and we come back and we do this a number of times. And eventually, eventually we might get to heaven or, or face God in judgment, right? Um, but this says we live once, we die once, and then we go to heaven. We live once, we die once, and then we, uh, and then we have, uh, you know, this eternal judgment, Right? Um, now, do you know people who believe in reincarnation? I remember when I was a kid, there was something on TV like, you know, call this 1-900 number and we will tell you who you were in a past life. We will tell you what you did in a past life. You know, what, what kind of life you lived, all that kind of stuff, right? Well, no, we live once, we die once. So if there are people who believe in reincarnation, you know, how can we have questions of uh, discussions of faith with them? I think it's an important thing to think about. You know, it says that Jesus lived once, Jesus died once. Jesus is not going to die over and over. We live once, we die once. Uh, we're not coming back. We're not coming back. So and then it says Jesus will appear again. Not for sins, though, for salvation, to save the people who are waiting for him. So apparently, Jesus' first time here came to deal with sin. He came to deal with the problem of sin, and he came to deal with it by becoming the atoning sacrifice for our sins. But now, having dealt with the problem of sin, the next time Jesus comes, he comes for salvation in the sense of rescuing, rescuing the people, the faithful people who are eagerly awaiting his return, who are excited about his return. So we all always have to ask, are we excited about the return of Jesus? If Jesus were to come today, would we be excited about it? Or would we, would we say, well, can you come back and like, 30 years? Can you come back in 50 years? Can you come back at a different time? Just, just not a good time right now. Or are you excited about it? Just some things to think about. So there's Hebrews chapter 9. Some good stuff in here. Reincarnation, uh, sacrifice, all those great things. So hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. Uh, and we will close with a word of prayer. Uh, dear God, we are grateful for the sacrifice of your son. We are grateful for the blood which was shed on our behalf. We pray that as we live, we would be forever grateful of the sacrifice that was made, that we would live lives that reflect the love that you have for us. We pray for those who are recovering from the recent hurricane. We pray for those who are dealing and battling with COVID and trying to help those with it. Uh, we pray for strength. We pray for guidance. We pray for comfort. We pray for grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day, and we will see you next week, Hebrews chapter 10. And until then, stay safe and talk to you soon.